Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 174th edition of the Frank and Stan chat. And uh, the date is the 19th of January. It's really cold where we are in Stockport, and that's probably the same in Salford. But we have a, a guest, uh, John Woodhouse, who's in Totnes in Devon, isn't it? Uh, is it cold and chilly there as well? It's always sunny in Devon, Frank. I wouldn't <laughs> want you to. We're part, all, all members of the tourist board down here. <laughs> um well uh john we've we've spoken a couple of well i think a couple of times now but um do you want to give a little introduction as to uh, who you are and what you do yeah yeah sure i'm, I'm so i'm john woodhouse i'm the one uh, one of the founding directors at safeguarding network um we work with um schools colleges earlier settings um to support dsls with um, their task we see that um Keeping children safe in education has tons of guidance. It's probably the most holistic guidance uh, for safeguarding that there is in the country, but it has expectations all the way up here, while the resourcing and support and training that's available to DSLs is, is much, much lower. So we um, we make that easy for people um, and, and, and try to provide kind of um, scaffolded resources that mean they can really improve the robustness of their safeguarding while saving hours of time trying to pull this information together for what's an absolutely critical venture in a school. And again, you know, another reminder of that today with the publication of Ofsted's report. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, for small schools as well? You know, um, the, the, the even though there may be fewer pupils, but, you know, um, having fewer staff means that some of these challenges, you know, a, a DSL may have multiple responsibilities in a small school. You know, whereas in a, a larger school, that, that may be one of their, their main functions, you know, so... It's, yeah. uh, it's it's it's. I mean, bring in mind where you are because I think we were talking before. That's your son's school at the back in there, isn't it? Is Immediately small, behind us. Is that a small uh, school? It is. It's a tiny school. It's it, it's got I think fifty four children yeah. on on roll. We're very lucky in that sense. Um, but the head teacher was carrying the the DSL role in addition to every other hat that a head teacher wears. Um, I mean, by definition, the DSL has got to be a member of SLT, so they're involved in lots and lots of activity. And um, it, we just don't really know how people manage to get things done. Um, especially in the context of a greater and greater reliance on schools as, as local authorities pull back from from safeguarding activities to focus on child protection work. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, Stan. I was just going to say, I think that's that's probably quite common in primary schools, is it, that the, the DSL is, is the head or deputy? It's better if they can identify somebody else because then you've got two different people looking at something and there's an opportunity for challenge and, and, and difference as well as the kind of time side of things. So that's certainly something that we recommend. Um, but head teachers bring tons of experience um, and, and you need that to be a, a designated safeguarding lead. So many of them want to hold on to or feel that they have to hold on to that responsibility, which is understandable. Um, again, what we try to do, you know, providing people every month with a, a different topic to focus on with their staff, learning resources and things like that, um, and giving people someone to talk to when they uh, are worried, because it's not just the kind of volume of activity, it's also the nature, the tra traumatic nature of the kind of um, things that, um, that DSLs are involved in. Um, I think you mentioned Bronson Battersby um, in the news this week, um, just how, how, how schools cope and how, how DSLs cope with those kind of activities is, uh, 
is uh, you know te- just so difficult for them and 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 you know i guess one of the things we're providing is is effective supervision which um 94% of our schools last year renewed which just shows that wow. you you know wow. you've you've got to that people are really valuing the opportunities to stop think things through on a, a an individual child safeguarding level on a on a um personal reflective level but also on a strategic organizational level um about how they're getting everything in so on in place and and really really feeling the pressures of that i'm interested um because we had uh we have a guest carolyn air who come who, mm. who i don't know if you know carolyn, amazing carolyn, yeah, yeah. Uh, carolyn was the uh i i use carolyn carolyn as a um a sounding board as a sort of like checker in a way an auditor of uh, yeah. the practice that was in, that I was responsible for in the, in the Co-op Academies Trust, and um, I, I I found I thought I knew the regulations, knew the requirements reasonably well until I actually attended the session with Carolyn, um, and so I suppose in a sense the point you made before about yeah. uh, the need for there's something to do with in, intuition as well in some of this, you know, um, but actually. As well as knowing the regulations, it's about relationships as well and getting a feel. But actually, you know, how how is is there a point whereby a member of staff should really have had a length of time in post or uh, as a teacher or as a, a manager before they actually take a, a DSL role on? Um, or is that just too simple to sort of view it that way that it will vary from one school to another and one individual to another? I think it's going to vary. There isn't a, there aren't kind of requirements set out um, clearly in terms of background experience for the for the DSLs, but they do need to be bringing that safeguarding experience. People can come in from other sectors. You you get uh, former uh, public protection officers from the police, former social workers, and so on coming into education settings. It's a learning curve. Um, schools are special places, and yeah. so there's a lot to learn about how 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 a school culture operates, how a staff culture within a school operates, um, working with groups rather than individuals, which is you know how how schools um run things rather than you know the other agencies tend to be much more focused on a child and an individual family which is, has its strengths but has huge huge gaps from a contextual safeguarding point of view schools are a much much stronger position um so i wouldn't want to, to kind of limit things in, in in that sense uh but the, the the designated safeguarding lead role is is a hugely responsible uh position um and you, you look at kind of what is placed on their shoulders um in in um keeping children safe in education kind of annex c responsibilities um that they are they are very broad um and um, i'm minded of the um offset response regulation 28 response to to the death of ruth perry um in the coroner's report today and um, there's a, a line in there um no head teacher should feel the responsibility of an inspection and its outcome falls solely on their shoulders, which I think is, you know, absolutely right. Um, that's the same with DSLs. I think yeah. safeguarding's a it's a cultural yeah. activity, well, that's and it's how they all fit in. Depressed, isn't it? That's the sort of thing you shouldn't be depressed. <laughs> the it's words on a page. They do feel that responsibility, whether they should or or shouldn't. They do. And and I, I think it needs more thought about not that they shouldn't it shouldn't all rest with them, but it does. So how do we meet um, ameliorate that and make it so that 
it doesn't rest entirely with the, the head teacher. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I think we'll probably get back into um, Ofsted as part of this uh, discussion today. So, uh, Stan, what's caught your uh, eye this week? Uh, well, it was um, a report, a, a reported statement by an inspector um, to a head teacher who, when she asked about the the changes to Ofsted, that the phrase as part of the feedback was. Well, if we don't break head teacher, how will we know that they're tough enough to run the school? And you just think, this week? <laughs> is that the thing to say, this week? Mm -hmm. And is that what's actually going on in some inspectors' minds? That, like the SAS, we have to break somebody before we can we can build them up again, before we can reconstruct them? Because it's, it's absolutely, totally wrong. And yet there's an inspector this week saying, you know, well, if yeah. we don't do that, what do we do? I, I think the inspection took place because uh, it didn't happen this week. I think it, ha it happened um, last uh, last year. But I, we've worked, Stan, um, yeah. or we know of inspectors who take that sort of stance. Um, and in a way, that's n not been challenged sufficiently by Ofsted. You know, um, they've allowed that sort of culture to develop, you know, certainly I know that's not a one-off incident. I'm not saying right. those words have been used, but the the tone and the the sort of relationship between the lead inspector and the head teacher at times, it's, you know, I, I've witnessed that as a CEO, you know, and uh, that's not, that was never the way that we were taught how to inspect. Um, I, mean, well, I can remember, I know it's a long time ago when I was an advisor, having been an inspector, so you know the rules, yeah. you know how it works. Uh, actually taking in, in the feedback, um, telling a, a lead inspector they were wrong and they shouldn't use phrases like that and they shouldn't do things like that, at which point they stormed out. But I, I was, I know I was in the right. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, it, it just, it, what, what, go on, John, you're going to say? I was going to say systemically it, it, it's wrong. If we have a very top-down approach to inspection that's pushing pushing stuff down, that's trying to break people in order to understand whether they're competent or not, that systemically affects the way that schools operate. And and actually, that's that it's anti-task. Our, our job here is around nurture, is around development, is around enabling children to learn. Um, and, and so you have to build the whole system in that kind of way. And, and we've missed that. We've really missed that as a sector since the days when inspectors would come in and 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 talk in that empowering developmental kind of way. It's interesting to see some of those things being being said by Sir Martin in terms of the um, the direction of travel, the track, the kind of thing that he's trying to create around the big listen. But that's going to be an absolutely mammoth um, mammoth journey. It, it, it exists already. You, you go if you're inspected by um, ISI. It's a completely yeah. different process. Yeah, mm. definitely. I mean, I think it was also, um, can we just deal with this Ofsted thing as well at the moment? I mean, there is an internal review. Um, and, and I always get, I, I, I've, I've avoided watching the post office um, drama. Um, my wife and I have spent, we watch one uh, episode each night because to be honest, it's quite awful. You know, I think, it's not. It's not something you can binge. It's not something you could do. I. 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 If you haven't watched it, do I not watch it. all four of these one after the other. I mean, it's just gruesome. Um, but for me, the uh, the second episode, which we saw last night, um, 
was about the external consultant going into the post office and talking to some of the post uh, masters and mistresses about their experiences and actually starting to unravel the story that the post office had. And it was really important, I think, that that was somebody who knew the post office, but actually wasn't employed by the post office and nothing to do with the post office at that point. And so his credibility to those people who were, you know, who felt uh, wronged was at least a reasonable starting point. I have serious concerns now about an internal review of any kind by Ofsted being led by somebody who actually works for Ofsted or is closely associated with Ofsted. I just feel as though that is not where we <laughs> it's all application. Be. Frank? Well, I, 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 I would, I, I probably wouldn't be asked, um, but would I do it is probably an interesting question. You know, I, I do know of other colleagues who are probably better placed to do it than, than myself, but actually you think, well, you know, the, for me, I'll be all over that depending on who the person is that they appoint, you know, and, and, and how much, you know, what is their brief? You know, is that, because re- I know that their HMI working now who, if given the chance and, and given, you know, sort of confidentiality, you know, would be very critical of some of the processes and practices that are being delivered by senior managers in the inspectorate or were, you know, prior to Martin Oliver's appointment. You know, I, we need to, we really do need to cleanse the organisation. You know, we need, I think we need the framework revisited because, we get, you know, the, the apps, the, the, um, Safeguarding grade, you know, is a right mess being made of that at the moment. You know, for me, that the whole thing needs to be looked at very critically. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's currently working for them or or sitting in cahoots with them, I think that's just going to be a missed opportunity. Uh, that's going to need a, a reform of the kind of political approach to Ofsted as well, though, because Ofsted hasn't created itself in this kind of way. Um, it, you know, this this stems back to, to um, Sharon Shoesmith, Director of Children's Services yeah. at Haringey, standing on the steps saying, Ofsted said we're good. And then the government absolutely going after Ofsted to, to, in terms of the kind of model that they want to see, the kind of approach that they want to see, um, and the accountability uh, being the only word, not just part of the process, the only thing that Ofsted are, are being demand, uh, being required to look at. And, um, you know, without that political support, the, the organisation isn't going to shift. Well, the PFE have got a part to play in in how much stress is in an Ofsted inspection because of the potential for an outcome which changes the life of the school forever. Uh, and I do think, I, I know um, Spielman mentioned that at one stage, and I, I do think that needs looking at because the pressure used to be, well, the worst thing is we go into a category and we we then get some support and we get out of it as as a school. There was never a case, I don't think, of masses of parents taking the children away from a school. My experience is quite the opposite, that the, the, the parental body gathered round and supported the school because they knew it better than the inspector. Um, but that, that concept then, that, that because quote from the head teacher i've made a mess of this and we've gone into a category the school is now going to become an academy or it's going to move from one academy to another uh, and everything is is literally on my shoulders and i think that link is what needs to be broken yeah Yeah. i think there needs to be a wider view on whether a school should be a forced academy rather than the result of one inspection yeah okay um 
John, what's caught your eye this week? So there's been a, an article um, in a number of the papers. The one I was going to pick up was The Guardian around um, some figures um, gathered from the by the National Police Chiefs Council um, showing that um, children are now the biggest perpetrators of sexual abuse against children, I think, um, was was the, the headline. And I, um, I challenged that a little bit in terms of our kind of um, our understanding of sexual abuse of, of, of children. Um, we're very good at looking away and not understanding and seeing what the real issues are. Um, from kind of Victorian denial of abuse through 1970s uh, focus when we were growing up uh, was all yeah. about the, the the man in the mac, you know, the stranger danger. Um, it wasn't until um, the last 25 years that we accepted that most abuse is perpetrated by people they know. Um, but again, it, it seems it's a it's a topic people really struggle to. To, to to cope with and look to externalize and project out so so the idea of it being those other families where sexual abuse happens rather than our families where sexual abuse does happen um and among our and among our children um as well so it's um it's it's, it's phenomenally changed over over um the last 15 years or so um with the um advent of kind of technology um, and the accessibility of technology for, for children. So the twin pressures of easy access to pornography um, has, has is, is causing it, well, what's described as an enormous experiment with our whole society. What happens yeah. if um, many of us are asking, are accessing pornography um, on such a frequent basis and not just kind of, uh, you know, quite extreme pornography and so on as well, which is changing the way that we behave as a society um, around things like anal intercourse and um, around, around uh, say, the masochistic kind of practices and so on as well, which is, is um, you know, has, has changed the way we're all behaving. Our children are a microcosm of our society. So, um, you know, you look at the Me Too movement, should we be surprised in any way mm. um, that that uh, young people's peers are, are, are such a phenomenal um, influence on, on, on one another? Uh, there's a few other bits in there. I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the surfacing of um, Ofsted three years ago um, did a um, a report around uh, sexual violence and sexually harmful behaviour in, in in schools um, that had some you know frightening statistics about the kind of uh, nature of, of of that. So it it has it is an area that's come to um, schools' attention a lot more. So there's a lot more reporting of of, of the things that are, are are going on for for children. Um, but I think there are still gaps. The one that really kind of jumps out at me is um, sibling sexual abuse um, that just is never talked about, but is likely to be affecting one in 20 children in uh, our schools, which is more than one a class. Yes. Um, we don't this, we don't just get to it. Is there a risk in this, Jonathan? I remember when when the, the big thing for, for schools was racial, racial abuse and racial uh, and reception classes were the classes that reported most racial abuse in the school and that was through children saying words that were deemed to be not not words you can use curious four-year-olds saying you're a different color than me you're black i'm not 
etc. So is there an element of, of that in the reporting of sexual abuse in schools? I think you've got the you've got the twin um, kind of areas around around um, young people are growing up and they're exploring and they're learning, um, but that can't be at the expense no. of other, oh, other I, students. I um, and and so, well, again, all this stuff comes back to cultural stuff and the interplay between kind of family environment and what's going on within families, local communities, and what's happening in a school community. Um, schools are in the best position. Uh, to influence this generation of our of our yeah. young people, but the pressures on our young people are are, are, are so significant. So, um, you know, the exploration of of uh, you know issues now involves um, people sharing images with one another and so on, and it's just massively damaging. I, th- I think of, it's interesting. Know. I was asked. Uh, I remember going to one of the secondary academies in Manchester, and I had to. I, I covered for a, a year ten lesson. And they were talking. Uh, they were doing work around the uh, doing the work around the internet. It was a technology thing. And uh, one of the students said that, uh, "Well, my, you know, actually, I look quite a lot of stuff on my phone, but I basically wipe clear the history. So actually, nobody knows what I've been looking at." Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and in a way, that that stuck with me because this is a, a, a student who is fourteen or fifteen, who perhaps is not aware. Like it was mentioned in the in the report, wasn't it? That a lot of young people are not aware that they're breaking the law. They're not aware of what you know what their responsibilities as well as their rights are in this area because actually we don't talk to them about it. We we, we, we no, I don't. We know. I don't think as a society we've got to grips with how to regulate the the internet yet, um, and 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 how to kind of put the laws and safety systems that we have in place in other parts of our society in place online. Um, but do we? Do, do but when we do that, go on. Sorry, John. I was just going to say we can we, we you know you can imagine uh, I've got four poor children um so you can imagine safeguarding where we try to be quite hot on that (laughs) in our family uh so you know everything was locked down and so on but my son went to school and we found out you know a year or two later that he'd learned how to bypass all the systems that we'd put in place at school from his from his friends using you know being shown how to use vpns and whatever um so again it all you know schools are right at the center of this uh you have to be right at the centre of this discussion, and our, our staff just don't feel confident or comfortable okay. with talking about online safety, uh, but but particularly talking about sex. Yes, it is. Um, I think, uh, and actually, it, it gets to the heart of what a good education is, isn't it? You know, if we're if we're actually avoiding teaching things that young people need to know about, simply because we're embarrassed to talk about, it, but these are critical issues in their lives. Yeah, wow, you know, where have we got to? You know, we'd much preferred to talk about history, you know, the Victorians or whatever, rather than deal with, you know, the risks associated with, you know, with the internet. Um, but you've also got the other pressure in some schools that by simply suggesting we're going to talk about um, sex, you, you have parents banging on the doors and, and ringing the press and, you know, there's no easy route through no, this. No, no, It's funny because government's tried, hasn't it, to tried to sort of strengthen its uh, its control over uh, the internet. Um, 
uh, and actually those are stumbled across because it comes up against the the, the libertarians as well you know um so i it, you know but I, I think the point we're making here for me it's we need to have more conversations about this sort of stuff with young people in in a controlled environment in schools so that they don't find out you know when a, an image comes through they then have to share that because they don't know what they're going to do with it you know or they don't do anything about it they just accept it yeah. I think it starts with our staff teams having those conversations with with a st- with your staff group about how we deal with these kind of things, how we recognise them, how we feel about that. What are we doing proactively? We quite often get approached for um, harmful sexual behaviour training, and we we offer that on our website. All those kind of things, pl- plug plug. But um, our first question back when organisations ask us to do this is: so, what have you done in terms of? ordinary sexual development let's forget the harmful bit of it and quite often that stuff's been missing um, mm. that, that people um haven't haven't um managed to 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 do things in the to the depth and that they do need to um to to be able to get hold of those we produce like every, every month people get a a different pack on a different area of safeguarding and there are kind of an online safety training pack which gives gives questions and ideas for people to be thinking about and talking through um and, and we've got about 1500 schools that are members across the country and they, they really value that the discussion points because it, it's the conversations i think that then create the kind of understanding and then the recognition of well what does that mean for us how can we then start to do something a bit differently here and recognize those young people who are needing our help most great um well What's caught my eye? I've got a few things actually, um, but uh, let's let's play the good and RI game. Um, which basically, I saw Dr. James Mannion did this uh, with a, a friend of his, a colleague, uh, on his um, podcast, and he published it uh, yesterday. And this is really—you just read a couple of sentences from an Ofsted report, and you have to guess whether it's good or requires improvement. And some of the examples he he gave, you know. You just knew where it was going. It read like it was going to be requires improvement, and it should have been. But you just knew he wouldn't have used that example unless it was good, you know, and, and vice versa, you know. So at the end of it, you knew which way it was going to go, not because of the words, but simply because of the example was so positive. It had to be RI, and the other one was so bad it had to be good. So uh, I, 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 I will put the link at the end of this, as I will put a link for your uh, website as well, uh, John. Um, if you're interested in playing that game, it's it's a it's a fascinating little clip of a couple of minutes. But I would say I read hundreds of Ofsted reports, and you know you, you can come up with probably for every hundred reports, you could probably come up with twenty where you could play that game and still not be sure which way it's going to go. We just need to kind of boil it all down to just a single word judgment, don't we? And then, oh, no, 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 we've tried that. Sorry, we've tried that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, before we go. Um, there is the suggestion today, isn't there, that the offset that safeguarding sits outside of or it, it, its relationship with the with the actual inspection is shifted. Now, you know, it may be that it's extracted out or less emphasis is given to it unless it's systemic problems. You know, that's only then does it actually affect the leadership grade. I mean, before we disappear for this week, I'm interested in John and Stan's view on that. We'll go to John first. So what's your take on it, John? I think you know, haven't we? Haven't we been here before? Um, so it wasn't that long ago that safeguarding was integrated with the leadership judgment. Um, there, there are 
I think you need to look at this this in the whole, um, where there are very simple issues that um, that can be fixed. Things like you've missed this off your policy, and it's required, so you would be, you know, um, requiring improvement or inadequate. But what you know, I'm back tomorrow. Let's have a look at that. I've been with an ISI inspector who said that, and the next day it was there. They looked at it, and said, "Great, yeah, that passes," um, and and that kind of stuff. Where, you know. You, you can you can deal with and you can get through. I've yet to walk into um, uh, any setting, um, be it a children's homes or or, or, um, or or schools, where safeguarding is a mess um, and leadership and culture are strong, stable, and reflective. It does it. You know the the two things are very closely associated, um, but. Um, you know, I, I don't. I don't really see any problem with separating the safeguarding judgment from leadership. It gives you a chance to kind of look at things from more than one perspective. And I think, as you said before, most people who lead on um, this area, if they are uh, an officer inspector, tend not to be. They're, they're they're effective. We hope leaders. They're not necessarily aware of all the requirements within this, you know, the world of safeguarding. Um, so perhaps given They've got it- experience in schools and colleges, run, running yeah. schools and colleges, and you know, in leadership positions um, rather than safeguarding specialists. But um, well, you know, why, certainly than the regs. Yeah, that's why I'd like to see it it taken out of Ofsted altogether to an annual an annual audit of safeguarding in schools done by by. I mentioned this once before and said sort of done by the LA. I didn't mean done by the LA. I, I meant uh, that they were responsible for, for choosing the agencies to do this and making sure it was done, or trusts were responsible for recruiting the agencies to do it. So we've got specialist people going into schools, giving it an audit, and then Ofsted can pick up the audit. And, and the question for Ofsted then would be, is the audit good? Are there anything that's wrong with the audit? What have you done since then to put those things right? And that conversation with the head could take place before the inspection in, in, a, in a dialogue, a conversation. And then if an Ofsted inspector sees something during the inspection that is a safeguarding issue, they should report it to the DSL, as everyone else should do if they see something. Schools, schools and colleges can do that. To an extent already, uh, we we visit lots of, of, of schools and colleges. We don't audit, though. Um, I, I push back at that one. We review and we explore together with the school um, because actually they know their children and young people best. Um, and when you, you work alongside someone and you enable them in a reflective way to look at things from another angle, um, you're much more likely to get them on side than some kind of, you know, the Section 11 audits and so on. I don't think they are, are, are desperately strong in protecting children um, over over the, the sense of a conversation with somebody who really knows safeguarding w- with a school leader who really knows their school and their students. Um, together with a strong governing body, I think as the other oh, bits yeah. that chip yeah, into yeah, there, yeah, your, yeah, your governors yeah. have got yeah. to be holding your your school to account because otherwise the the school leaders have too much power within that which is uh the advantage for me though is that it's something then that can be fixed can be improved and uh, out of the threat of the school's going to go into a category blah 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 and i know we've said you know if it's a simple thing it should be able to fix. but even if it's a systemic thing then every three years every five years isn't often enough 
exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it doesn't work either way with Ofsted. No. I, I, my view is lots of things should be done on a regular basis, a financial audit, etc., and then uh, an open dialogue with the inspector to say these are the people, the experts that have been in our school over the last three years. This is what they've said. So you can concentrate on the teaching, learning, and leadership, yeah. which is, I think, what Ofsted should be about. Yeah. Right. Well, that's over. <laughs> well, that's how 35 minutes goes on a Friday morning. <laughs> um, uh, thank you so much, John. Um, I I'll put a link uh, following the video, um, but I don't know if you want to give a plug for your business, uh, for anybody listening. They can. Is it just cons it's not just for the southwest, is it? It's. No, no, we're national. Right. We're, we're all over. We're all over the country. Um, so we have we have consultants up in the northeast, northwest London um birmingham you, you you name it um plug for the business i'm going to come and come and have a look arrange a time to to come and have a look around the around the site um we, we charge 99 pounds plus fat a term um and people are always surprised at how much we manage to fit into that the kind of concept of it is all being built alongside dsl sitting with, you know the idea of safeguarding network came from sitting with a group of designated safeguarding leads saying this is really tough there's too much to do creating for them some resources on fgm and domestic abuse that they loved that they'd want to, they asked if they could take it back to their staff and we thought why is every dsl in the country doing this on their own um can we do this together so it's very much co-design cool it's very you know it's um you get a two-year rolling curriculum um, that uh, takes you through every area in keeping children safe in education. Um, in in little um, fifteen to twenty-minute chunks that fit in a staff meeting, so you're not having to ask people to, uh, you know, find, find any more inset time, goodness, um, or, or to ask, you know, quite beleaguered staff. You know, you look at the, the hours that staff are working um, and, and and running twilight sessions when actually. What they're really thinking about is how am I now going to manage to get into Sainsbury's and get stuff yeah, to get home to cook in time for the kids? Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, well, thank you very much, everybody, for for, uh, for watching and listening uh, to this. Next week, Stan, we uh, I'm well, our guest has uh, asked to have their date rearranged. I'm speaking to somebody later this morning who may be a replacement, but if not, it will be back to the Frank Stan chat again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, they'll plummet, but anyway. Uh, thank you to everybody who uh, has watched over the last month or so because the, the figures are absolutely staggering. And I'm really grateful. So oh, we're grateful. So uh, until next week, thank you, everybody, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.